This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Travel Texas, which recently partnered with Outside to send Olivia Christine to Dallas on a wellness getaway. So when Outside told me that I was invited to take a surprise trip to Dallas, I was so excited. A wellness getaway is basically the process of finding your perfect balance between energizing activity and meaningful rest. Maybe that's going for a walk. Maybe that's going for a hike, a run. Maybe that's a luxurious hotel that you just completely self-pamper and go to a spa. With easy access to trails, good food, and great weather, Dallas is a perfect place for people with an active lifestyle. But it's also a place where you can slow down and feel your best. So if you want to get active, if you want to get outdoors, while pairing that with good food, good scenery, that's the way to do it. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the trip to Texas that really matters. Yours. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. For a moment, think back to the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. The coronavirus is spreading so quickly around the globe, it may only be a matter of time before it begins rolling across the U.S. It was a chaotic and scary time in so many ways. Here at Outside, we found ourselves wondering what we were supposed to be doing once we sorted out the complexities of remote work. Because the stories we tell about adventure and embracing risk and just getting out in the world, they all seemed wrong. After a bit, though, we found our way with pieces about very close-to-home activities, like backyard bird watching and even a climbing workout you could do in your kitchen. But... When you really think about it, the pandemic then and now is a survival epic. One that, at its core, is about our relationship to the natural world. And that's the kind of story that we tell all the time at Outside. In this case, it's not about one person trying to live through a bear attack or an avalanche, but our entire species battling a highly contagious virus which makes it the perfect story for longtime contributing editor David Quammen. Beginning way back in the 1980s, David wrote a column for Outside called Natural Acts that had him pursuing fascinating scientific questions around the planet. David Quammen was always out in the field finding just incredible insights into the natural world. He would bring the environment to life, conservation, you know, really the science behind wildlife discoveries. And it was just really, really smart. This is Elizabeth Hightower Allen, who was the features editor at Outside for a number of years. She says that once Natural Acts concluded after some 15 years, David got even more ambitious in his reporting projects. He started going on these really huge expeditions in Central Africa. And I think that may be where he first really got interested in the idea of these zoonotic diseases. David focused his investigations on the remote jungles and villages and wet markets where diseases like HIV and Ebola had crossed over from the animal world to humans. In 2012, he published Spillover, a book that looked at why this was happening and that foreshadowed the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, the, the literal subtitle is Animal Infections and the Next Human Pandemic, which is, 
you know, I read it in 2012, and I was like, well, that sounds sci-fi and scary. But then it happened. And he literally writes, will the next big one come out of a rainforest or a market in southern China? You know, they're just sentences and spillover that are really could describe what we've been going through with this pandemic. Elizabeth says that the book very much feels like a thriller. It's us against a dark and deadly force lurking in the shadows. And there's something he wrote in Spillover that I really love. Predators are large beasts that eat their prey from the outside. Pathogens are small beasts that eat it from the inside. So his point is that these are wild creatures that we come up against and they're out for survival and so are we just like a grizzly bear. Not surprisingly, when COVID-19 emerged in late 2019, David was uniquely positioned to report on what was happening. The result is his newest book, Breathless, The Scientific Race to Defeat a Deadly Virus, which was published in October. It was a finalist for the National Book Award, and unlike so many scientific tomes, it's gripping. David makes us feel like we're in the room, or the plane, or the lab with infectious disease experts as they race to sequence the genome for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, and discover its true origin. A few weeks ago, Elizabeth had a conversation with David about his reporting journey as part of a Q&A for the Outside Book Club. David joins us from his home in Bozeman, Montana, where he just recovered from COVID himself. In fact, it's possible that David has been in that very room where you see him for the last two and a half weeks. Is that negative? It's negative. Yay! (laughs) Congratulations. As David told Elizabeth and our guests that day, throwing himself into understanding SARS-CoV-2 wasn't something that felt like a choice to him. He felt he had to do it, regardless of the formidable challenges to his usual reporting techniques. Simon & Schuster asked me, to set aside another book that I was working on and give them a book about the pandemic. And I said yes, not because it was an opportunity, because, but because it felt like a duty. And then I had to figure out how to do it. I couldn't travel. This was now May of 2020. I couldn't get on a plane for Wuhan. I couldn't get up on a plane to go to the Congo to walk through forests with scientists looking for scary viruses like Ebola. I couldn't really do anything except sit in this room and Zoom. And after a lot of foot shuffling and mulling, I realized that's this is how I'll do it. Since I can't travel, I'll travel by Zoom. I will write the book about the virus itself, its origins, evolution, and fierce journey through the human population, and the scientists who have studied it. David ended up speaking with 95 of the world's leading virologists from his home in Montana. One thing was clear to him even before his first interview. The scientific community had a very good idea that this was coming. At the end of Spillover, published in 2012, I'm hesitant to say I predicted. I channeled the prediction of the expert virologists that I was talking with. And I asked them, is there a next big one coming? Is there a, a, a murderous pandemic coming? And if so, what does it look like? And these virologists back then, 12, 13 years ago, told me, yes, there is a pandemic coming, and it's going to be caused by a virus. It's going to be a virus that comes out of a wild animal. 
It's going to be new to humans. We can't say exactly what kind of virus it will be, except that we can say it will almost certainly be an RNA virus, a virus of which the genome is the molecule RNA and not DNA. DNA viruses evolve less quickly than RNA viruses. RNA viruses are the ones that mutate relatively often, in some cases very often, and therefore they are capable of adapting to new hosts. But while scientists had anticipated a pandemic like this, its effects on their own lives were still surprising. Many of David's interviews turned personal as researchers opened up about what it was like to live through a pandemic they were also trying to study, like analyzing the snowpack in the mountains while being caught up in the avalanche. And so, as his reporting evolved, David realized that the book would be about much more than the virus itself. It's a book about the virus, where the virus came from, how it works, what it does, where it's likely going. But it's also a book about people and about the scientific process. It's a process, and it's a human process, like rock climbing or grandmaster chess or ballet. It's done by brilliant but fallible humans, and it works toward bringing us incrementally, step by step, sometimes with a step backward, toward a more accurate understanding of the physical world based on physical evidence. A big piece that everyone wanted to understand about SARS-CoV-2, of course, is exactly where it came from. Scientists knew the mechanism. What they were hunting for was the source. Viruses are constantly, constantly spilling from one kind of host into another. When one spills from a non-human animal into a human, the alarm bells ring, we call that a spillover. Sometimes it goes through an intermediate host. I describe in spillover the case of Hendra virus, a really spooky virus that lives in fruit bats in Australia and was discovered because it spilled out of fruit bats and it got into racehorses and it made the racehorses terribly sick. Bloody froth coming out of their mouths and nostrils dying of this virus. And then there were three men who were trying to save those racehorses in that stable, a veterinarian, a stable foreman, and a trainer. And uh, two of them got sick and one of them died. But sometimes a virus can go directly from its reservoir host, which is an animal in which the virus lives inconspicuously over long periods of time without causing symptoms. So that's its sort of secret hideaway. And it has, over evolutionary time, it has reached an accommodation with that host. It doesn't multiply at great abundance and it doesn't make that creature sick. It just lives there as a hideaway because viruses have to live in cellular creatures. Let me ask you one thing. In this instance, these disease detectives trying to trace the the origin point of the spillover in SARS-CoV-2 detected, which blew my mind, not one, but two spillover events. That's one of the very interesting and important pieces of evidence for the fact that this virus almost certainly, almost certainly began in that market. And that's the fact that there are two distinct lineages known as lineage A and lineage B that are separate enough with no intermediate forms known, at least so far, suggesting that not only did this virus spill over from an animal in that market, but it spilled over twice into humans from one or more animals in that market, producing these two separate lineages. It might have been a raccoon dog. It might have been a pangolin. It might have been some other animal. We just don't know. But what we know is that 
this virus almost certainly originated in horseshoe bats, in a particular genus of bats called Rhinolophus, the horseshoe bats of Southeast Asia and Southern China. There are viruses 96%, almost 97% similar to this virus that have been found, and more, more than one of them, numerous viruses, in horseshoe bats in China. No one will be inclined to say, well, the search is over for the origin of this virus until they find a virus that's more like 99.6% similar to this virus in a horseshoe bat or some other animal. The fact that SARS-CoV-2 very likely began in bats and spilled over to humans through another species doesn't mean that we should be blaming animals for the pandemic. The problem is us, specifically how we interact with animals in ways that make spillover events all but inevitable. To make that argument, David cites the pangolin, a small mammal that looks like a surprisingly adorable pinecone come to life and is sometimes called a scaly anteater. Pangolins are, are possibly the most trafficked animal species in the world. There are four species native to Africa, four species native to Asia, uh, and they are all trafficked both for food and for their scales, which are believed mistakenly to have medicinal properties. And so millions of pangolins have been trafficked out of Africa to China and to Vietnam and from other parts of Southeast Asia to China, up to cities like Wuhan. And um, in the process of being transported, they share viruses with other animals, including potentially bats. And it's just a really, really dangerous situation. The danger is even worse than you think. Because David isn't just talking about the next virus. As he explains it, we keep doing things that enable SARS-CoV-2 to jump between species, which means that in this ongoing race to survive, we're helping the virus win. That's coming up after the break. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Humans have been locked in a battle for survival with SARS-CoV-2 for going on three years. With much of society returning to some kind of normal, some days that battle can feel like it's winding down. But it certainly isn't over. And according to science writer David Quammen, it may never be. This is because the virus hasn't just spilled over into humans. It's made its way into other species we interact with regularly through a process called the sylvatic cycle. Sylvatic cycle is when a virus passes back and forth repeatedly between its reservoir host and humans. And that cycling between the two kinds of hosts is part of what keeps the virus alive in both hosts. And now we know that this virus has spilled from humans into all sorts of other mammals around the world. First, it, it spilled into a Pomeranian dog in Wuhan. Pretty soon it spilled over into a cat in Belgium and then a cat in France. And then tigers at the Bronx Zoo were testing positive. Why? Because zookeepers who were 
positive for COVID, but perhaps not showing symptoms, had infected the tigers. And then gorillas at the San Diego Zoo tested positive and showed symptoms of this virus. And as we now know, it was also spilling over into farmed mink in Europe, particularly in the Netherlands and in Denmark, where there were millions of, of American mink farmed for their fur, and into white-tailed deer in the American Midwest. We know that white-tailed deer in Iowa and Pennsylvania and other states are full of it, are carrying it at high prevalence now. And so if we ever were able to get it out of the human population, which we're not going to be able to do, but if we could, then we still wouldn't be done with it because it could spill over again at any point from a white-tailed deer into, for instance, a deer hunter. So this virus is going to be with us, uh, bedeviling us for a long time. One of David's strengths as a writer is his ability to explain complicated science in terms that the rest of us can understand. He does that throughout Breathless, but perhaps the most memorable moment is when he shares a conversation he had with Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the chief medical advisor to the president. Dr. Fauci also has a talent for storytelling. And in this instance, he was explaining to David how the SARS-CoV-2 virus thinks. That is, if a virus could think, which of course it can't. But Fauci's way of communicating was so effective that David did his best to imitate the doctor when he spoke to the outside book club. I shouldn't do his voice because I can't do a good Brooklyn accent, but everybody <laughs> can imagine that the, one, the wonderful Tony Fauci voice. When you're a virologist or somebody involved in microbes, you try to anthropomologize, I guess, a virus. You've probably done that yourself, he said, in your former writings about viruses. You turn it into a metaphor. So if this virus were a really nefarious person, it would say, what do I want to do and how can I do the most damage? Well, first of all, I have to be extremely efficient in replicating, but I don't want to kill everybody. I want to have a situation where 40% of the people I infect, I don't even want them to know they're infected. I want the infections to be transmitted so that 50% of the infections are transmitted by people who are without symptoms. So, all these young asymptomatic people, I don't really care about them. I'm not gonna get rid of the population. I'm just gonna be doing a lot of damage. I'm a hybrid. I'm a virus that causes very, very little harm. Doesn't give many people symptoms. At the same time that I can be absolutely deadly to a large number of people who happen to be vulnerable. And that's the nefarious, insidious nature of this virus. You hear that and you really get something that Elizabeth Hightower Allen said earlier, that a virus is a kind of beast, fighting for its survival and killing a lot of humans and other animals as a byproduct of that process. As long as the virus can go bouncing from one person to another, sweeping across countries and from one country to another, it doesn't matter to the success of the virus how many dead bodies it leaves behind. As long as whoever is infected can transmit the virus before they die, their death will have no effect on the natural selection of that virus. If that's not dark enough for you, how about this? Even if we do reach a more tolerable relationship with SARS-CoV-2, there is always the next virus. At this point, 
We know enough to make the same prediction David made back in 2012. Another spillover pandemic is coming. But it's not all bad news. David firmly believes that we at least have the knowledge to vastly reduce the risks. In the places where there are live markets in wild animals for food or for any other purpose, and China isn't the only place where those exist, we can urge our governments to shut those down, to constrain or eliminate the trade in wild animals in markets where they are stacked in cages, one species on top of another, with also with domestic animals live, sold live, mixing their viruses in this market situation. That's the most obvious thing mm-hmm. that governments can deal with and that we can urge governments to deal with. Another huge factor is industrial-scale husbandry of domestic animals. We have 35 billion chickens on this planet right about now, 35 billion. And we have avian influenza circling the planet in wild birds, avian influenza that kills wild birds by the thousands, probably by the millions, and that is highly virulent, highly pathogenetic when it gets into humans. So far, it's not able to spread from human to human with any sort of efficiency. But if it were able to adapt itself to human to human transmission coming out of wild birds, that would be very, very dangerous. Shutting down the trade in live wild animals and rethinking industrial meat production would be two giant steps towards reducing the risks of more spillover events. But it's hard to imagine us taking them. The other massive challenge in front of us is building the kind of public health infrastructure that would allow us to contain a virus when it does emerge. Here, David is hopeful, though not very. There will be more spillovers. There will be more dangerous outbreaks. It's possible, it's possible if we are vigilant, active, and do what is required, we can control the next spillovers, the next dangerous outbreaks before they spread into epidemics and pandemics. But it's going to take a lot better systems of of national and international surveillance than we have right now. In other words, we are still in the middle of one survival epic, and another one is coming. We don't yet know if we will get out of the woods or how, but one thing is certain. Humanity better learn how to self-rescue. You can read Breathless, The Scientific Race to Defeat a Deadly Virus, out now. And you can follow David Quammen on Twitter, at David, Q-U-A-M-M-E-N. You can join the Outside Book Club on Facebook. Thank you to David Quammen, Elizabeth Hightower-Allen, and Luke Whalen for making this episode possible. This episode was written and produced by me, Marin Larson. Editing by Michael Roberts. Scoring and mixing by Robbie Carver. Listener, if you have a survival story you'd like to tell, record it as a voice memo and email it to us at podcast at outsideinc.com. And if you're enjoying this show, leave us a review wherever you listen. Or tell your friends about us the next time you're taking a rapid test. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. 
Learn more about all the benefits of membership at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. Now is a great time to join us. We're offering new members a 50% discount for a limited time.